the One Two Football Podcast. The voices of tomorrow here today. Hey guys, welcome back to the One Two Football Podcast. I'm Nathan, and today we are looking back on the biggest talking points from last week's Premier League action. As usual, I'm here with Ollie and Kieran. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm all right. Actually, I'm not all right. I've got, you know, poorly finger, poorly face, toe, everything. I'm, a, I'm actually a disaster in football terms. Actually, in football terms, I'm also a disaster because that was a shocking display from United. But I can't be the good old, I'm all right this week. It's, it's oh, well. new. tough times. <laughs> Indeed. I'm, I don't know how I follow that, really, because my body's fine. My team are fine. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, what can I say? Oh, minus Thursday night, but that, 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 that doesn't even count. Um... Oh, Premier League, all good, and that's that's what we're here to talk about. So that's what matters. I mean, we we do have to touch on that terrible performance um, in midweek, but not yet. We got to start with West Ham United. I mean, they steamrolled Leicester City four-one. No one expected that. I mean, I I thought West Ham would do all right, but not not that all right. You know, very well. I mean, will can they repeat the season they had last year? Um. I think they can. I, I had them quite high up on my table. I can't remember exactly where I actually put them now, but I put them very high up, the highest out of the three of us. I, I thought they'd be in for a good season. David Moyes has got, you know, the platform for a good season. And um, they're, they're showing that. They're the top goal scorers. They're top of the league. You know, they have the, uh, the top uh, goal scorer as well in Antonio. So it just all looks like it's going really well. But like we said in the last podcast, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this up once they've got, you know, other competitions to compete in as well and can they compete on all fronts but for at the minute they're absolutely absolutely smashing mm, yeah I pretty pretty much echo all of that um, I was a bit sceptical just because of what or how important Jesse Lingard was for them at the second half of last season I was worrying you know whether they'd be able to keep up the goals and assists was sort of like a creative three behind Antonio but I mean I was put in my place last night with both Ben Rama and Fornell scoring. Um, two players who really, in front of goal, had been a bit goal shy for, for West Ham. But, you know, now they seem to be kind of coming into their own a little bit. And, and Antonio, I mean, that, that story is wonderful as well. Breaking West Ham's all-time um, Premier League goal score record. Um, he used to be a right-back as well, which is, I just find completely bizarre. Um, you know, I, I get comparing kind of Lukaku's performance against Arsenal and Antonio's on uh, on Monday night against Leicester. They're both very similar players. They can manipulate the ball so well by using their body um, to, you know, turn defenders. Um, if Antonio keeps fit, you know, and they keep a lot of their players fit, um, they should do really well. But that's kind of where the concern is, is, is the squad depth. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, in terms of Antonio, he's fantastic. Probably right now on the most informed striker is technically to go by the goal scoring charts. He is the most informed striker in the Premier League after the two games and has been so reliable for, for West Ham. And also, you know, I mean, he can't be that far off an England shout either. You know, it, if he stays in this form, there's no way you can kind of keep him down, especially if Watkins has been injured to start the season off. I mean, Calvert Lewin's doing his best, but, you know, Antonio might work his way in. But then it's if Antonio gets injured, who comes in? Who goes up front? I genuinely don't think they have a backup striker. They, they, they I mean, haven't I... got. They actually, I'm not gonna lie. I did. I figured this out a minute ago. They haven't got anyone. 
their entire team based off the Premier League app. So, you know, they could have other players that it doesn't show, but that I imagine not. Their entire team is 24 players. Now, four of them are goalkeepers. They have 20 outfield players in their entire first team. 20. Now, compare that. I've just got it to two other teams. Villa only have 28, so only four more, but they only have two goalkeepers. So they have like six other outfield players, which is a big difference. Spurs, you know, obviously a bigger team, more money. They have 38. So in terms of squad depth... Not too many, but... In terms of squad depth, they have nobody. And on the app, their forwards are Antonio, um, Jared Bowen, Benarama, and then Yarmolenko. Now, three of the four of them are playing all the time. So if they get injuries... Yarmolenko's going to have to, you know, step up big time because they have no one. They have absolutely no one. And their midfield, they have a load of defenders. They have 10 defenders. Out of their 20 outfield people, 20, uh, 10 of them are defenders. So their depth is, um, yeah, pretty scarce. It's an interesting one because they're going to have to act in the transfer window. They're, I mean, obviously, Jesse Lingard has been the player they've been linked with a whole lot. Obviously, it makes sense, even if it is sometimes a bit lazy. But, you know, he's had such a great spell with them. He's not going to start for Man United. So... It makes a lot of sense, but then surely they they know like this. Surely they knew they needed a striker. Surely they they they've thought about it and they've been in meetings and they've gone right. We need a striker. And so where where has it gone wrong? Is it the owners? You know the owners at Sullivan and Gold are, are known for being bad at transfers. You know while they've got the ones they've done right, they're known for not being the, the most active and on it um, set of owners. Even though their recent business has been really good. Moyes, I think, has been looking for like West Ham fan reactions, been accused of maybe being a little complacent in the transfer window, kind of a bit old school, maybe not quite, you know, catching up with the new ways people are getting transfers. But I'm not 100% sure on that. But surely, surely they knew this. Like, I, this, that's what I can't understand. They knew that they needed a striker and they've just not acted. And I mean, they've got two weeks to do that and I'm sure they will. But what, what's, how has that happened? I think they're probably scared about making the same mistakes. I could be wrong, but they signed, you know, Paul or whatever his name was for, you know, a lot of money. And then Kieran's laughing. Kieran's laughing. Did I get I'm the not... name right? Wrong. No. What? Halle. Halle. Haller. I'm calling him Haller. This guy's called Haller. He's not even in the Premier League anymore. Who cares? Anyway, um, they signed him for, you know, a fair bit of money, if I remember rightly, and he just didn't hit the ground running. Um, and then, you know, his story got even worse by not even being signed up to, you know, what is it, the Champions League or Europa League, whatever, for, for Ajax, that's another thing. But, yeah, they just can't seem to get it right in terms of signing the striker. And I think they're really just trying to sort it out and try and figure out who is going to be, you know, worth the outlay of money, because strikers nowadays cost a lot of money. And if they get it wrong again, you know, they can't afford to get it wrong because they, they're not a club, you know, with stacks of cash. So... I think they are just being very safe and precautious around who they've got to sign. Um, but, you know, there's a difference between being safe and then just being too scared to do it. And I think they're just going to have to, you know, get the checkbooks out and sign people because if they do want to continue this, you know, winning streak and, you know, have a great season again, and they probably could do with the team as long as they don't get injuries. But, you know, we all saw what happened to Liverpool and teams like that. When you get injuries, it can hit hard. And this team does not have the depth to cope with injuries. That's the interesting thing, though is that you mentioned there that, you know, half of the outfield players on the on the Premier League app are defenders, yet the position where it seems like West Ham are likely to recruit someone is another centre-back, which is is amazingly ironic in that, you know, they've been in for Nikola Milenkovic and that kind of fell through. He signed a new contract at Fiorentina. And now it looks like Kurt Zuma could be making the switch um, across London to West Ham from Chelsea. So the money's clearly there. Um, it's just a question of, 
it's not very smart recruitment, I don't think, in terms of where it could be end up spent. And you think about last season as well, Mikel Antonio is someone who is unlikely to be fit for the whole season. I think he, not necessarily devastating injuries where you're looking at three, four months, I think it's just fatigue for the player um, in his muscles, just because of how much running he does and the running power that he has. You know, he's he's going to struggle um, to play two games a week, which is obviously what West Ham are going to have to do this season. You know, they're going to be, their schedule is going to look, you know, Thursday, Sunday or Monday. You know, it's going to be that kind of um, intensity and it's going to be travelling. And, and, you know, you you look at that and you think they might struggle, but the indicators so far allude to that they're going to be fine. But is it just a question of, you know, kind of how Everton started last season where they hit the ground running with some new signings playing well and scoring goals and then I think they they kind of struggled with injuries with Alan, Decore, Hamas Rodriguez of course all spending time on the sidelines significant time as well and they, it kind of just fell apart from there when they realised as well that their depth didn't quite match the level of the starting eleven. you know here we are talking about how we're going to praise West Ham and it feels like we've just picked their squad to pieces just because of its lack of depth and and quality kind of in and around the team. We just so, need it, though, to be honest. We're being realistic, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've taken risks before. I mean, look at Thomas Suchek, look at um, Kufal. You know, these are players that no one had heard of, really, unless you were proper into European football before they signed. And they've turned out to probably be two of their best players. So, they, they clearly have it in their in their recruitment team that they can pick out players and they can find them. They can, maybe not even those big names like Halewas and, and some of the other failed signings that they've had. Just, you know, if they can pick someone out that they've proven capable to, I mean, <laughs> go back to Sparta Prague or wherever they got the players from, because they're clearly producing for them. So go go back to, to Czech Republic. But if you, we will talk positive about West Ham as well. They were absolutely excellent on Monday. And um, Ben Rama is really looking like someone that's going to make a big, big impact for them this season. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch the game, so I can't really comment on sort of you know the the overall performance. But that guy's come to life. You know, he was he was meant to be a big signing when they signed him last season, um, and he didn't really live up to the hype. I think it was sort of settling in to the Premier League, um, and he looks dangerous this season, doesn't he? He looks like he's going to score a lot of goals, get a lot of assists, and I think that's the reason why a lot of us are popping him in our uh, fantasy teams because you know. He is stepping up and let's not get carried away. I know we said we're going to talk about him like positively. Let's not get too carried away. It's been two game weeks, you know, um, and it's not been the most challenging. I know Leicester, you know, obviously is a great team, but they're a great team. But, you know, let's not get too carried away. But, yeah, no, Ben Rama has been an absolute like, revelation for them this season. And I, I just don't see him slowing down. I think he's going to be the, probably the most important player because, like you said, Antonio will pick up injuries and I think it's going to rest on Benarama to sort of carry that team a little bit going forward. Um, and so, you know, I hope he doesn't get a bit too tied out and I hope they don't use him a bit like a Pedri at Barcelona where he just plays non-stop. Well, from that game as well, um, I, I, I wanted to interrupt your comment there talking about Leicester. They did have a man sent off kind of in the, in the first half by Izzy Perez. Bit of a bad challenge on four nows, I think it was. Um, so that kind of played into their favour a little bit. But even before the red card, you know, okay. West Ham were on top. Um, they, they really took it to Leicester. Yeah, Leicester had a good amount of possession, but they didn't look threatening at all. They really struggled. Um, Antonio did a great job kind of allowing the Leicester centre-backs to have space, but closing the passing lanes out to kind of Ndidi and Tielemans, you know, 
forcing Madison and Barnes to try and come deep to get the ball, but it just it just didn't work for them at all. And, and that's another area as well with the centre back partnership of Soyuncu and Amati. Um, it, it's it's not going to be a desired ideal back two. But obviously, injury problems have kind of caused that to happen. I think Leicester have got probably about six injuries uh, amongst defenders. So let's not read into it too much with Leicester as well. Obviously, it's a pretty crushing defeat, but we know how good Leicester are and we know that they will finish fifth. It's, it's just what happens. Um, but you, you mentioned about Ben Rama there. Obviously, I think he's probably going to get the most acclaim just because of the goals that he's got so far. But I, I think last season, um, Jared Bowen was really important when Antonio was injured. He kind of spear... He, they kind of played a fluid front three, but you'd often find that Bowen was the one, at, like the arrow point of it, leading it forward. And he, he picked up a lot of assists uh, and a few goals last season as well. But Fornells is kind of the most interesting one for me because I remember him in the, I want to say it was the under 21s um, European Championships where he was brilliant with Spain. West Ham picked him up and we're thinking, oh, this is, this is going to be a brilliant signing. And he's shown kind of, spells of being that brilliant player that we know he can be it just now seems he's going to find that consistency kind of similar to how Ben Rama's hopefully going to be finding it this season as well um, and we haven't even spoken about Rice and Socek because we just know how good they both are um, Socek going for I mean you'll struggle to find the kind of defensive midfield pivot that complement each other so well um, in that Rice can play that shielding role in front of the back four Socek's not afraid to get forward and and score goals, as we've seen already um, in the Newcastle game. So just on kind of the precipice of things, their starting eleven is is right up there um, in terms of kind of best, team's best 11s in the league. And if I'm honest, as an all-round team, you know, they probably give a couple of the big six a run for their money. It's just the depth that's the problem. I mean, who knows, they could get really lucky this season and, and remain fit, or they could sign some, some extra attackers kind of in the next week or so but I do worry for West Ham kind of around Christmas time when the schedule is so packed along with those Europa League fixtures I do think that it's inevitable someone's going to pick up an injury just with that sheer amount of workload you know you can say you're a professional footballer but at the end of the day your body's kind of the exact same obviously a bit more of of an advanced level than most but you know fatigue and and muscle soreness and tiredness and injuries are going to happen and I do kind of worry for West Ham when they do especially if they don't sign anyone It'll be, it's funny though, isn't it? Because it could have been a completely different story had they signed, already signed Jesse Lingard and if they'd got, you know, Tammy Abraham because um, they were linked with him and we would have been sat there going, you know what, they've actually got quite a bit of depth, you know, because they've got Lingard there, they've got Abraham there. Where would they fit into the team right now? Because obviously, like you said, the team is playing so well. So it's just weird how things shape out. So, you know, there's still a little bit, a couple of days left of the transfer window. So maybe they can pull, you know, some some strings and get a bit of uh, players in there to add that depth and who knows, they could actually slot into that start 11 and players like four nows maybe will drop to the bench or something like that. But I mean, it'll be hard to see that with the form that they're currently in. I mean, we spoke about depth and, and teams with a lot of depth. Moving on to the next talking point, I mean, Tottenham Hotspur are a team with a ton of players, so many players that they can't even sign anymore because they've just got too many. So, but... They won, they've won. they won both their league games so far. 2-1-0 wins. Hard fought, but ultimately, weirdly deserved. That That's kind of what I've got from watching Tottenham. I don't know about you, Oli, especially that Man City game. Kind of under pressure for a lot of it, but just kind of deserving the win due to their counter-attack and, and things like that. It's, it's Nuno. 
it's, it's literally classic Nuno getting his teams really, you know, tactically drilled and, you know, quite strong and like maybe they, they look under pressure, but they still pull it off. And I was, you know, advocate for Nuno when he was at Wolves and I really wanted him, you know, when he was linked with Man United and it was a bit up in the air with what would happen volley. We wanted him to go there and now he's gone to Spurs and I think, yeah, okay, he was, wasn't clearly top of their list of managers, but I think he should have been with the way that they've started this season. And it, like I said, it's classic, you know, he's getting his teams tactically and defensively very strong. And then they can sit there, they can take the pressure, and then they break and they counter-attack. And without, I'm going to look at without Kane right now, yeah, okay, obviously every team would be better with Kane. But right now, the thing they've got up front is pace. And every single one of them three up front, you know, Berwijn, um, you know, Son, they've all got pace and they're all attacking and, you know, they can just break on anyone. And I think any team would hate to have that front three and the pace of that front three, especially running at them, no one wants that. And teams are finding that hard to handle. And yeah, um, I'm excited to see West Wales actually finish this season, especially under Nuno, because right now they look uh, a big threat. I'm sure there's there's one person that's excited more, more than most. <laughs> I'm I'm just soaking it all in, all this praise, getting getting a good feel of it before it goes horribly wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, I watched the Wolves game. It wasn't comfortable, um, but it almost was at the same time. Wolves dominated possession, had the more shots more passes in our half, more passes in the box, more touches in the box. But really, the only chance that springs to mind, which was a clear-cut opportunity missed, was the one that fell to Adama Traore, which um, was saved by Lloris. So, and kind of similar to Man City, there wasn't many clear-cut opportunities. Um, so although, you know, we are allowing teams to attack us, it almost feels like you know, we, we can withstand it. You know, that was a, a main criticism of Jose last season was once we took the lead, literally in the Wolves game, Tangi and Dombele scored after about 50 seconds and we sat back and sat back and sat back for the whole game and eventually Wolves equalised. And I thought, you know, we were going to be onto the same um, outcome here, but obviously we, we managed to hold on for the three points. So it's 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 looking pretty good so far. I'm liking seeing Deli Ali in a kind of newer, deeper role. I think he's developed um, massively so far in that after playing it, I think, most of the preseason games. It seems like Nuno really likes him in that position as well, um, playing as kind of the left of a midfield three in a 4-3-3 in a four three three when um, Spurs are defending but then pushing up into a kind of attacking midfield role when we're attacking, obviously, with the ball. Um, so that's, that's exciting to see. I, I think I slightly do disagree with you, Ollie, in that you say, Kane, obviously Spurs without Kane at the moment look very good on the counter-attack. I think we'd probably be better with Kane on the counter-attack because what we did so well last season was the minute we'd go forward, right, Kane's the out ball. If you pass to Kane, he'll either win a free kick or manipulate the ball around someone. And then his passing ability last season was showcased just, just how good it was. So there were certain moments in, in the game against Wolves where when Kane came on for Son, we had that kind of vocal point to build off of if we needed to for, for counter-attacks. And with Son possibly injured, I don't actually know the extent of it, but he went down in the warm-up before the Wolves game and obviously came off. I don't think Son's come off many times before before the end of the game. It's just, it's just someone you want to have on the pitch because of his energy and running power. Obviously, that was lacking slightly in the second half, I think. So, I mean, I'd hope there's nothing serious there, but... It's kind of looking good, and 
man, I really want Steven Bergwijn to score a goal, though, because he's doing everything but that. His defensive work rate is brilliant. The piece of skill he produced um, against Wolves was superb. I just want him to score because I think when he does score, we'll see the very best of him. Yeah, I mean, Spurs look great and especially in attack, so impressive. Um, Burwine as well, someone that possibly flattered to deceive a little bit last year again, just showing that if you give these players a bit of time that they can come through and, and de deliver and it's just that final final thing that, that Burwine needs to do. I mean, Lucas as well, I think someone that goes under the radar with Spurs a lot is still a very good player, very important player if you look at kind of their recent history and, and right now, I mean, and also Eric Dyer and Davison Sanchez. I mean, who would have thought that would have been a, a partnership that's kept two clean sheets? Who the, who the, <laughs> who, I didn't see that coming. I'd say that for sure. And I mean, I mean, watching Sanchez's performance against Wolves, it was a surprise that they still managed to keep the clean sheet. But regardless, Eric Dyer was was brilliant again. And he kind of does this, I feel like, Dyer. The first few games, actually, he's not that bad. And then for some reason, it soaks. But this might be a different season for Eric Dyer because there is clearly a player there. Because there's no, there's a reason why he plays for Tottenham Hotspur. There's a reason why Southgate rates him highly. Used to call him up for the England squad. Obviously, it became to a point where he wasn't doing well enough to earn that. But there has to be a player there. So, it, and alongside someone like Tanganga, and I mean, I'm not sure, but so I'm sure about Reggie on in terms of defensively. But he's obviously very capable there, but especially Tanganga on, on the right. There must be that bit more stability when you're when you're a Spurs centre back, knowing right, this guy can defend very well. We've got him next to us. You have Hoiberg in front. You've got Skip in front of you. They're also great at ball-winning centre midfielders and they like to get win the ball back and then play it forward. So it kind of alleviates a little bit of pressure on that Spurs defence. Yeah, I think with the defence as well, Eric Dyer probably feels comfortable there because he's surrounded by three very pacey defenders. Mm. Um, we know Sanchez has got a bit about him. Tanganga's running power is brilliant and, and regular speed is, is pretty impressive. So it probably fills him with a lot of confidence. And I'd imagine having Hoiberg in front of him as well. I mean, you, you probably can't ask for many better to kind of shield the back four in, in, in the role and the way that he does it. Um, I'm just kind of, not worried, but I, I do kind of wonder how kind of the new signings are going to be blended in because obviously of what happened. I didn't want to mention it, but obviously it, it happens on Thursday night against Pacos de Ferreira where we lost um, after changing the entire team. I think Nuno's kind of realised now that, you know, there's there's a considerable level between our first team and maybe the fringe players. And also that you kind of can't just go from beating the Premier League champions on the weekend to changing the entire team. A lot of players who haven't played together before um, and just expect them to turn up, especially when you've got Harry Winks in the team. Um, it, it's just, it, it, it's probably not going to happen. And, and unfortunately now we're going to have to to bring out some some bigger players in the hope that we can win that second leg. But away from that, Premier League's going great. You know, Man City and Wolves. I mean, that's that's not an ideal start. Uh, Watford up next. So I'd imagine we're probably going to lose that about 4-0. Um, just judging by the fact that, surprisingly, we've managed to beat Man City and Wolves. But, I mean, who knows? And clearly there's still some stuff going on in the, the transfer window for Spurs. So... It's it's looking good so far. It was looking good last season, and we all know what happened there. I got so so tempted by it that you know we have two easy games next, so that should be six points. You would think that would not be a bad start, would it? You know, twelve points from you know your first first four games or whatever. So, but I just want to quickly touch. You know, I, I I've not watched Masters amount of Spurs, but for me, 
everyone's shocked about Dyer, and I feel like maybe we shouldn't have been shocked. Because I feel like Nuno's found his Connor Cody in, in Dyer here, that sort of robust centre-back that he loves to have in that team, just, you know, give a bit of muscle and just a bit, you know, a commander centre-back, not necessarily the best centre-back in the world, by no means, neither of them, but it's just Nuno's typical centre-back, and having someone robust, you know, that sort of bold cut on his head, just there to win <laughs> that ball. Do you know what I mean? So, I think maybe, you know, Dyer will shine a bit under Nuno, because, like I said, it, he does seem to be his... Is Connor Cody and Spurs. Yeah, and to be fair, Dyer, that's to how he got, that's how he stayed so long in an incredibly well-liked figure across all the teams he's in. But if reports are true, you know, he seems to be someone that connects well with his teammates, can obviously speak different languages as well. So, I mean, he could be a real leader for Spurs. We will touch quickly back on that um, Pacos de Ferreira defeat because it was rather funny, but also depressing to watch because, you know, they were so, Spurs offered nothing in this game. And it, 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 was, it was a bit concerning, I think, you know, the likes of Lacelso, and, and you can always say this is the first game they've played. Lacelso and Winks look so off it in, the, in that. And I, you, I understand Lacelso is a better player than, than the one game on Thursday, but there has to be a concern there. And Romero looked a bit off it as well, but he was injured, to be fair, coming in. There's a slight concerns that Spurs still need to do so much in that transfer window. I mean, let's say Dyer and, and Romero get injured, and then you're left with Sanchez and Carter Vickers at the back. You know, you, you get a few midfield injuries and Harry Winks has to start playing. There, there's, it could become a problem. So I think that now is, is the onus on um, Partici and, and the team to just make some signings to, to make sure that that doesn't happen again and Spurs aren't in any danger. I think we need to also have some outgoings. Um, oh yeah, you can't make any it, signings. Been, <laughs> even if we could, I think there's players that, you know, that have been stealing a living really at the club for a while now and we'll put in one in every five good performances or, or haven't reached their, their potential that we've seen and we need to get rid of players who quite clearly don't want to play for the club that was what was so intriguing for me about Romero and Gallini and Brian Hill was oh wow these players actually want to play for this team well that, that's that's something because I think we've we've had too many players recently who just who quite frankly just don't give a toss you know and and they're there to pick up a paycheck at the end of the week and and they might produce something well but the, the passion and things like that was is kind of lacking so you, you need to get players for a start that clearly want to play for the club um and get rid of some players that you know really don't you know and kind of the one that springs to mind is obviously with Sergio Aurier and Musa Sissoko looking like they're reaching the end of their time at, at Spurs is what's going to happen with Tungi and Dombele which you know, I, I've soured on recently because if he has asked to leave, you know, he's had four managers. He's got this high fee. We've seen snippets of what he can do, but it seems like he's going to throw a tantrum because two of his friends are leaving. You know, I just think that's a bit pathetic, if I'm honest. Um, so, I mean, I, I would rather he just left. I know we're going to get a cut price for selling him, but I, I just, I think it's a waste of time to have players at the club who clearly don't want to be there. And, you know, you say what you want about that, obviously, with Harry Kane and the situation there, but it's clear that Nombele probably doesn't want to be at Spurs. Well, Harry Kane has minutes in the bank, doesn't he, at Spurs? He has kind mm. of, he's, he's, you know, he has wanted to be there for a long time. So, I mean, I get that. I mean, that, it, that was weird. I don't know about you, Ollie, but when you think about someone that has demanded to, to leave and has been quite public with the fact that he doesn't necessarily want to be at Spurs in Harry Kane, Got a very warm ovation by by the Wolves, uh, the Wolves, uh, the Spurs fans. They, they, you know, you're what one of our own, and all of that. You know, does, does that surprise you? And do you think where do you think Harry Kane will be come the end of this window? Uh, it's 
I'm in two minds with it. And it depends on what's the truth and what isn't. So I know he's got a contract and, and everything like that. But if, if I was a player and you had obviously with you, you know, your chairman and you had a gentleman's agreement and they went, yeah, look, we'll allow you to go. Um, now, yeah, okay, your contract is binding. That's just talk. But, you know, you kind of have a bond. You've been there for so long. You know, you're, you're an iconic player at that club and you think you would be allowed to leave if you wanted to leave. And if you've said to the chairman, they said yes to go, I can understand his tantrum. and I can understand his reasonings for being, you know, disappointed in the club. And, and you know, yeah, okay, professionalism comes into it. But if he wants to go and they don't look like they're going to do it, force to move, you've got to do certain things. Is it the right way around it? I don't know. But I can side with him in that regard. If there was no gentleman's agreement and he just for some reason thought there was in his head and there was no real discussion behind the scenes and he's throwing his tantrum, then it's wrong. Um, and I think it's a bit, you know, pathetic. But like we said, we don't know what's actually happening. A lot of mixed reports, so it'll be hard. But, you know, in terms of the fans, the fans love Kane. Kane is, you know, iconic player for Spurs um, now and, you know, he always will be, I imagine, for uh, a long time to come, whether he's there or not. And the fans want to show him love. By him going out there on that pitch and everyone just, you know, slagging off and booing him, that's not going to make him want to stay. So I think, you know, the fans probably did the right thing with giving him, you know, a good ovation when he came out. Um, and yeah, whether he's trying to force move or not, you know, the fans are going to be loyal to him, I think, because, you know, he's been so loyal to them for so many years when, you know, he probably could have gone. Um, and, you know, maybe he should have gone for his own career. So, yeah, I'm not really that shocked. But in terms of what in my opinion, what he's doing is right or wrong. It's, it's a fine line between if there was, you know, an actual proper gentleman's agreement or if it was just a bit of a side talk. And, and, and sort of to round off on Spurs, we know they need depth and, and there's the transfer window still two weeks left. Kieran, if you could give us maybe two or three players that you want Spurs to sign, plead to Daniel Levy through this. Who, who do you want Spurs to, to bring in to, to round off the transfer window? Um... <laughs> Which is like, Mbappe, Haaland. I'm trying to think of, obviously there's, you've got your, your players that you'd want to sign, but realistically in terms of kind of who we've been linked with, obviously there has been a lot of players we've been linked with. Uh, um, Adama Traore is an interesting one because there's no doubt he's got ability. It's just I don't quite think he's the type of player that we need. You know, I think him and Lucas Moura are somewhat similar in terms of how they play, obviously not in, in physique. Um, but I would find that an interesting signing. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, Spurs kind of need people that in, in the midfield that can move the play on and, and then... I wouldn't be against Traore, to be honest. I just wonder about, you know... Firstly, if we can spend that money better um, elsewhere or if we can spend it um, on maybe players that are a bit cheaper. You know, Premier League players are always going to be more expensive. You know, I think it's looking, you're looking at around £40 million. Um, Nandes is one from Calgary, kind of an attacking midfield player who I would like to see. Um, pretty highly rated there. I know that kind of talks for that have, have stalled slightly, but... It could be one that we kind of need in that we we still haven't replaced Ericsson really. Um, so that would be that would be nice. A, a centre back again as well, of course, would be nice. Milenkovic is probably out of the question now. So I mean I'm not quite sure 
where we go from there. Tommy Yasu is one Zoom. we've been linked. Is hmm? Zoom has been kind of the talk that I've seen. Yeah, Zoom is one. I mean, I uh, there's a few as was offered in the Kane deal. Yeah, we he was never gonna never gonna go for that. Um, let's be honest. Neither was Stevie. Um, a centre back though would be nice. Don't quite know who. I mean, Brian Gill was literally and Gallini was. In the matter of two days, oh, we're linked. Oh, we signed them. Obviously, Romero was about 14 years, but you know, hope, hopefully, we can just bring someone in that brings that bit of depth defensively. Backup striker, of course, would be nice, and then kind of a creative player who would play in 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 that role and give us a bit more depth there. When you know, games against like Pacos de Ferreira, you can play them and and trust them to do well. Um, alternatively, there's the thinking process that. Son and Kane are going to be played as you know a straight kind of front two, kind of similar to, to Jose if Traore was say to be brought in. Um, that would kind of mean Deli Ali's role is a miss, but I'm not quite sure what's going on in those meetings. But at the moment, it's working, so I'd kind of keep the similar shape. So I don't think Traore is maybe the best recruitment idea, but backup striker, a creative midfielder, and another centre back. Names, there's there's plenty, but. That's the kind of positions I'd want us to cover. Right, so going from a, a fan that is excited about his team going for a great performance on, on Sunday at 2 o'clock to, to another fan who's not so happy about his team's performance at Sunday at 2 o'clock. Oli, Man United, what happened? Well, we didn't win. That That's what happened, really. Um, it's a shockingly crap performance. Um, and and I, I honestly think, you know... A big factor was was the fans. The fact that you know we're so used to turning up to away games with no fans, and you know we're now drawn top, you know, in, in Premier League history for the amount of ones we go without losing with Arsenal, and we turned up and there were fans, and we weren't expecting that for some reason, and you know we couldn't deal with it. I mean, before it, you know, you know, everyone knows I'm a bit of a stat guy, um, so here's a couple. So from the opening weekend of the, or opening two game weeks. From last season, when there was no fans, there were 11 away wins compared to the first two game weeks of this season, where there was only five. So, more than double last year, and I, and I think that's proven with the fact in Man United, and you know, someone that was so happy to turn up and just you know win away from home and you know spoil what should be a good home win for the opposition. And last season, and and now we we can't do it. We seem to struggle, and I mean it's been one game, I know, but we seem to struggle with that. And the fans, you could hear them, you know, they were booing um, Greenwood for what they thought was a dive, which I didn't think was a dive. You know, he got a hand in the face or whatever, so it wasn't a dive. But whenever he seemed to get on the ball, he seemed a bit nervous and a bit anxious. And, and that was sort of the trend for the entire game. We just couldn't deal with the pressure of fans back in the stadiums. And, you know, everyone knew that was going to be something that would affect United and affect everyone, really. But United especially, because... Oli said it um, in a press conference, I'm pretty sure, either last week or the week before, which was like, last season we could go 1-0 down and we could come back. He went, you can't do that with fans. When you go 1-0 down away from home, the fans are going to be roaring for the home team and, and it's hard to get back. And, you know, we proved it. And, you know, we went 1-0 down. And I was thinking, oh, please, oh, Solskjaer, I'll be wrong with what you said. And it was kind of wrong. You know, we got one back and, you know, but really we probably should have lost that game, to be honest. Um, we, it was an awful performance and I thought defensively we were pretty open. You know, midfield, we weren't great. Matic, oh man, what was he doing? It just was not a good performance at all. And Martial, was he even on that pitch? Did he touch that ball? Did he do anything? 
you know, I know he's bold and he should probably stand out because the light probably reflected off him, but it just wasn't. I could see nothing. The only thing shining in that performance for him was his head. Um, it was just a shocking performance all round. And it was, I was looking forward to seeing Sancho starting. Where was he? Why is he not starting? You know, I thought Varane might have even got in there because, you know, he's a World Cup winner. He had a whole week to train. He didn't. Just was not good. But for me, the midfield... Where's where's Donny van der Beek? He had a great preseason. You know, he, he's been. Everyone was saying about how he's gone on, you know, a fitness regime and he's got more muscular. And still, Matic is in there. And you know, he's a great player, but he just doesn't seem to have the legs. And you know, Scott McTominay was like injured, and he still brought him on instead of uh, Donny van der Beek. And you know, McTominay scored goals last season. Everyone saw that, but he's not a clinical finisher. He's not gonna, you know, he's more of a defensive player but also got that attack element. But when, when you need a goal, when you need to score and you want to win, you bring on McTominay, it just seems weird. I thought Donny van der Beek would be a, you know, a shoo-in for coming in in that place. You know, the creative spark that he had at Ajax and United just didn't, Solskjaer didn't bring him on and United just weren't at the races all game. And to be honest, I kind of wish we lost so that, you know, we could look back and think, you know, one, get, one win, one loss. Yeah, we need to up this. Because I didn't watch the first game and... You know, because uh, I, I was away and I watched the second game. I was really hopeful, but it just didn't go to plan. And, you know, the fans, I think, had a massive thing to do with that. And I also think Southampton just wanted to get, you know, one back on us. You know, we came from behind um, in the first game last season and then we battered them 9-0. And they clearly had that fire in their belly. And the fans did as well to really, you know, equal that playing field and, you know, really ruin the parade. And well, they, they did it superbly, let's just say that. Yeah, sorry about my It's mom. weird. It, 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 no, it's fine. It, it highlighted, we've talked about depth all episode. It's kind of been, that's been the main topic really, the team's depth and, and so on and so forth. But you could see a real flaw in that Man United team and it was in that midfield. It was in that holding position. You know, Matic was a great player and still is a very capable player. But he's not got it in the in the Premier League in terms of playing at that intensity and it seems are going to come at you. And, and, and especially when your protection's Fred, who really had an off game that day. Um, who is he? Obviously, Fred's not. He was the own goal. He had a bad game. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. But yeah, he had a big off day. And, and you could see in the midfield, they just didn't look good. And I mean, there's been talk about Kamavinga. Um, and there's been talk about, you know, I, I don't know, Asao as well. But I mean, is he really the type of midfielder they need? It's, it's a tough one because, I mean, and Van der Beek's just sat there. I mean, he can't have been an Ole signing because. Ole does not rate him at all. Like, there's no way I can, you can see this and think that Ole rates Van der Beek in any shape or form. So why don't Man United cut their losses and let him go and bring in someone that is going to be a holding midfielder? And and that, I mean, they move that benefits both the Van der Beek and and Man United, and it allows Man United to bring in a holding midfielder. I mean, Rice currently not very happy at Man United. It's, it's um, not Man United. West Ham. Who will Neves as well? Basuma. You name, you name, you name, in all these players, and yeah, they're all great players. But I don't want Man United to willingly buy players. I would love to see, you know, um, Rice there. I wasn't as big as advocate, but you know, the Euros really changed my mind on that. Um, and Neves were being linked with him. I, d- I don't want Camavinga. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> I d- <laughs> please, please, please. I don't, I don't want him. I don't want him. He said he wants to go to Spain. I don't want him. We don't need any more players. I said that a couple of times back when we were doing the transfer one that, you know, United kind of ruled him out and I think we still have. I, was, I think he would be a Man United player now. 
because they know the pricing to pay. Um, Neves is someone that I would, you know, I'd, I'd be open to seeing. But for me, we have so many options in that team and good options as well. You know, Paul Popper will more than likely go back into the central midfield position when we get, you know, Rashford and Sancho and everyone like that back. Um, and then, like we said, Donny van der Beek is there. He's crying out to be put in. You know, he didn't have the best of seasons last season. We didn't really, we didn't see much of him. But, you know, we can't really judge him just yet because despite him being there a whole season, I, I honestly can't tell you how he plays because I haven't really seen him play. Um, he came on, obviously, in the first game against, what was it, Palace last season, and he's got a goal. Um, and I thought, you know, it's going to be good. And I watched that game just because I wanted to see him play. And, you know, we did okay when he came on a sub, and he, he hasn't really been going for him yet. But I'm just begging for him to, you know, get some game time because we have talent in that. And I know a lot of people don't like McFred, that, you know, that partnership with McFred, but I quite like it. Yeah, okay, I don't think you're going to win the Champions League with it. But I think we need to, you know, stay with it because, you know, right now, you know, money-wise, I don't think we necessarily have the funds to spend on rice and stuff like that right now, especially after the sign of Ryan Sancho. Um, so everyone's saying, you know, go in the market quickly. Don't panic, by Don't. We have the talent there. Popper will go back in there. But Tommy and Fred have shown you that when they play, I know a lot of people don't like it, but I'm a massive advocate for uh, Tommy. And Fred last season was... You know, he actually had a very good season. A lot of people can pick out his flaws, you know, his off game here and there. But on the whole, he had a good season. And, you know, we have the youth there. Like we said, we've got Donny van der Beek. We also have the use of Hannibal. I know he's a bit more of a playmaker. He's not really that defensive midfielder. But if you can get Pogba in there, um, who, can, you know, he can play in that holding midfield role. Not necessarily his best position, but he can play there. Uh, Brilliant Hannibal, we know he's meant to be the best upcoming, one of the best upcoming stars anyway. Now, I know Garner's just gone out on loan, but maybe, you know, we can, he's on a sick month loan, I'm pretty sure. Um, Ollie sent his press conference so that he can recall him back in January if um, if we need him there. So we have so much talent. Money isn't always the answer. And right now, <laughs> shock for me because I'm always loving to see new signings. But we have such depth there. We just need to try it instead of bringing in the same older players. No offence to Matic, but, you know, he's not getting any younger. So bring in the youth players, make them make mistakes, especially in games where, you know, we're going to be rubbish anyway with Matic. Bring them in, let them make mistakes, let them grow, get them them chance in the Premier League because loan them out into the Championship, you know, it, it works. But when you've got players that are 20, 21 going back in the Championship, nowadays you're seeing all these players breaking in, into the first team, you know, Greenwood, Saka, Arsenal, Smith Rowe. These youngsters need Premier League time and when you're playing Matic, you might as well put someone like Hannibal. Mm. Yeah. I still think you need a defensive midfielder. I think you, I think you desperately, desperately need one. And, and Sunday highlighted that for me. Um, I'm probably the opposite of you in that Meg Fred partnership. Um, I think it's good, but that's probably about as far as it goes. Um, I'm going to use Tottenham's comparison here of signing Koibia, um because the minute we signed him, all those problems of just having a serious lack of of anyone who can play in that role. You know, we were. Winks and Sissoko is a bit of a downgrade on McTominay and Fred, but it was that kind of similar partnership where neither are defensive midfielders and whoever the manager is is just hoping that, oh, well, I haven't got one, but maybe if I have two here, you know, that that will help. It, it just doesn't really work for me. I think they both probably have a tendency to get caught at times, either too far forward or kind of in, in terms of screening um, the back four. I think that if you get someone there... Um, I'd, I'd even argue that signing a proper defensive midfielder was probably more important than bringing in another winger, obviously in Sancho, and another centre-back in Varane. I mean, you may disagree, but I think that Man United team is crying out 
for a top quality kind of world class DM, and then you know we we see in our, say in our predictions, we say, you say about winning the Champions League there. I think if you bring in someone like Rice, he's with Zoom is sitting at Brighton. You know that player, the, the ceiling on that player is incredible. If he's doing the kind of things for Brighton that he's doing now, I mean, I can only imagine him in what would be a really strong United team. I mean, I, I'd I'd love to see him at, at a higher level than than currently with Brighton. And I think if you do bring in someone like that, you know, we'll be including United in the conversations for for the title when we said about Chelsea and City. Um, I really do, and kind of the same with the Champions League, to be honest. You know, considering the level of talent you have in the team, I just think. McFred is not going to win you those trophies that you want. I can see the people's views and why they think that, and I agree. We're not going to win, you know, the big trophies with that partnership in midfield. I'm not going to argue with that. But for me, I think United's whole outlook right now is is definitely, you know, next season, you know, we want to spend and we want to bring in a striker. And I think right now they're definitely focusing on, you know, Haaland and, and someone else maybe up front. And so they're thinking money-wise, what can they afford in the depth they've got? And I think they're doing the same as us right now. And we're looking at the depth in my United midfield. And to be fair, you know, yeah, it's not world-class depth, but they've got depth, whether that be the first team or the youth. Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm not going to argue. I, if they were to sign Rice tomorrow or Basuma, I'd love it. You know, obviously I'd enjoy that. You know, it, it really strengthened that midfield. But for me, I think they're looking to get, you know, Haaland for whatever, 70, 65 million pounds, whatever it is. In January, I think it can be now. Um, or just sign him in January to come in the summer. And I think that's going to definitely be their, their preference. Because let's be honest, if United sign Rice tomorrow and then we don't have the funds to sign Haaland, I would be fuming. No offence, Rice is great, but Haaland's going to change that team if we can get him, that is. Or anyone like that. So, yeah, we do need a CDM. But for me, the depth, the depth, the depth, get my words out, the, um, the depth is there. Whereas up front, you know, I think we're, we need that person in the box. And I've been saying this for two seasons now. When we counterattack, when we don't have Cavani up there in that position, the box, there is no one in there. We see it time and time again with Martial. He cannot play centre forward for us because he's not in the box. He's in no man's land. So for me, uh, CDM obviously has to be a priority. But if we can get someone like Haaland, um, then I definitely think that's probably got to be where we need to focus more because Haaland, Rice, it's a no-brainer for me. And if we spend money this window on a CDM and then we get outbid for Haaland when we could have got him, I, I'd cry. I honestly... You know Greenwood's role that he kind of grows into as the main number nine for Man United because we've seen how good of a finisher he can be and he's still 19-20 so I mean he, yeah, you know, he, he that is. Was, if that was the scenario his future, his future definitely is going to be you know that the the head of that Harlan stunt his progress then because I, I've seen a lot of people say that yeah, Oli's doing, doing a great job playing him but the fact that you know he's going from left to striker to right to playing with a front two behind you know could he become one of those players who doesn't realise his potential in one particular position, which I think is kind of the main striker? Would bringing in someone like Haaland, undoubtedly very, very talented striker, would that kind of stop Greenwood's progress I, if you I, have to push? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course it will. You know, any striker you bring in to put in a position where Greenwood probably would thrive. Um, is going to halt that progress. You see Cavani's coming in, you know, he's not at the level of Haaland, but he's probably halting his progress because, you know, he's playing the position where Greenwood probably should play. But for me, you know, yeah, you can say we've got a lot of depth. We've got Amadalo in there and stuff like that. You've got James. But for me, Rashford, 
maybe it's the injury. Maybe he comes back a whole new player, but Greenwood's the better shout out on the wing. We brought Sancho in. Sancho's going to play out wide. And if you're saying not Haaland and you're going to play Greenwood up front, then we're going to need another world-class winger because we need someone else up there, in my opinion. Now, I think if you're looking at Haaland, you can't miss that opportunity. And there's no person out there that can play on wide to the quality and for the money that you could sign Haaland. So for me, I'd take that risk of playing Greenwood out wide and put Haaland up there because it's just, you can't miss that opportunity. And I agree, obviously it'll be detrimental to the growth of Greenwood in that position, but Greenwood's amazing. He's outstanding out wide. And you know, Haaland's not gonna play every single game. And I know Haaland is young, so you can't turn around and say, oh, well, when he retires, Greenwood will be there, because they're very similar ages, freakishly. Um, so, yeah, but for me, you can't miss out on Haaland. Um, and so Greenwood's just going to have to, you know, grow with Haaland there. Yeah, not a bad person. Not a bad person to work with in Haaland mm. for, for Greenwood. I mean, quick word on, on Vesuma. I mean, I just cannot believe the top six have given up on him. I don't know what the price tag was. But watching him against Watford, I mean, the price tag probably doesn't seem enough. I think it was for someone, forty-five, forty-five. I can't believe no one has gone for that. Like I'm, yeah, you know, I'll go to John Henry's house now and tell it. Like ask him why. Why have we not signed Basuma? He's such a good player. And I mean, I'm going player? to Brighton. I don't. You not think it could be the player? All these teams are interested in him. This price tag, I'm pretty sure, was around forty-five million pounds because Brighton needed to raise funds. I can't, I can't see how he wouldn't turn it. He'd turn it. Maybe they got a dodgy agent, but. I mean, I think it was a lot of talk and not a lot of actual doing. I don't think there was a lot of bids put in. I don't think. I think Arsenal were trying to lowball a lot of that time, and Arsenal could kill for a player like Basuma in that team. I'd I mean, have we'll taken White for them. Uh, yeah, I'd have taken Basuma, and, and I mean, I'm going Brighton on Saturday against Everton. I just can't wait to see him play him in real life. And he's such going to be such a good. He's such a good player. And 24. I mean, the ceiling is there. He's approaching his prime. So I mean, not just Manchester United, but I think any club, any. To be honest, any elite club, maybe aside from PSG, should be looking at him at least in next season. The price tag's going to go up because he's putting in them level of performances. If he, as long as he keeps it going and Brighton keep moving away, that price tag's going to go up. So this could be an opportunity missed for any club. But I just want to also circle back to Southampton because obviously Man United did draw to a team. They didn't just play by themselves. Southampton were quite good. Um, Adam Armstrong probably should have won them the game, but looked like a threat up front. Maybe he is going to be sort of the, the, the Ings replacement that everyone expected to be but kind of the player that stood out to me and a lot of people I think he won man the match as well was Liveramento on that right on right back 18 years old from Chelsea signed for five I thought he was on loan signed for five million a 25 million buyback clause which, Chelsea to be honest yeah just to, on because you mentioned the buyback clause there Chelsea are so smart with that <laughs> all the all the in, somehow they've managed kind of a, a near net profit from their spending this season because of those deals that they're doing with players like oh but we can have him back then we can I just think the business that team are doing is is incredible he is he is some and just look at the confidence 18 year olds against Manchester United to to take the game to them from right back and I mean also to Perard on the other side was also very good but Liveramento stole the show and I mean 18 years old what a ceiling he has I mean it's not like England need any more right backs but here we are his pace was lightning quick. I can remember when he broke and, you know, he ran, he got past, and I'm pretty sure he ended up falling over after releasing the ball. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's, it makes me want to cry. He's an 18-year-old doing that. And, you know, it's, he's only really, he's not really played in the Premier League before. And it, it was, you know, yeah, as much as I can be disappointed with my United's display. To be fair to Southampton, you know, I know you guys are pretty sure had them to go down or whatever. 
and just about stay up. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I think they could have a good season. I mean, I wasn't really <laughs> keeping up to date on their transfers and stuff like that, but they looks like they've done smart, you know, smart business. You know, Armstrong it's more and, and fullbacks. That, that it's more the outgoings that will hurt them. And I thought, I mean, Warprow signing a new contract is so so important because if if he'd left, I. I'd have backed Norwich to finish above them. That's how confident I would have been. And Norwich always get relegated. So, I mean, him staying is huge. And, and the recruitment they have done is very smart considering the players that they've lost. But that's Southampton, isn't it? You know, Lalana, Mane, Wanyama, Van Dijk all moved on to, to better things. Uh, Luke Shaw. But they've been able to replace all these players, you know. So I, I don't maybe doubt them doing it again. And pr- probably if I could go back, I, I would probably have Southampton to stay up. Maybe just about. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at certain team performances and thinking, oh, you, you might be in trouble, you might be, and you're probably safe. But I'd say probably now, judging off this, if Adam Armstrong can consistently find the back of the net, they'll stay up. Because I think I feel like I say this often, if you've got a goal scorer, you're not going to get relegated. As long as he can, you know, convert the opportunities that he had against Manchester United, then I think he will be, you know, a quality striker. But I don't think we can necessarily judge Manchester United and Southampton. I know I had a massive rant at Man United, but I don't think that's what we've judge, just been doing. I don't think we can really judge either team completely and wholeheartedly on this one performance. You know, the last two games were, you know, crazy in the fixture on this. You know, it was a nine-nil, and then obviously the comeback with Cavani coming on. And I, so I think Southampton had a lot of. You know, something they needed to get out there and they needed to, you know, go back and get a win against Man United and put them in their place a little bit and say, look, yeah, you come back, you ruin our sort of times so many times in the last, last season. And so I think, you know, Southampton next week will be a completely different performance. If not, please, please surprise me, you know. Um, but I kind of don't want to be surprised because my Uncle Ray will, will not let that down. All Adam was in my ear. I've actually, I've ignored him. I've actually nearly ignored him for like four days, I think, or whatever. He's <laughs> a Southampton fan, but... Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I don't think we can necessarily judge them completely because, like I said, that the history from last season, I'm pretty sure they need to get one over on Man United. And that wraps up the One Two Football podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on social media at either One Two Football or One Two Football UK, and also take a look at One Two Football.com for the latest written pieces from our growing list contributors from around the world. We'll be back next week.